0: want to start out with the question and the question is this who in your life would you classify as unreachable for Jesus Christ who who would you say is your impossible You know, there's no way that person will ever change there's no way that person will ever come to Christ who is your impossible I want you to think about that person this morning or those people And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Um, We are in a series that I've entitled, The Church Has Left the Building. And we've been working our way through the New Testament book of Acts. And today we come to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to study a guy who was, hands down, the most influential person in the world for Jesus Christ, outside of Jesus himself. And his name is Saul of Tarsus. After his conversion, we're going to talk about this this morning, God God changes his name to Paul, and so I'm going to be using both those names, Saul and Paul, and they'll be interchangeably, but if I say either one of them, I'm talking about both of them. And so we're going to see two sides of this man. First, we're going to see proud Saul, the persecutor of Christians, and then in a little bit, we're going to see humble Paul, the messenger of God's grace. Now, if you had met Saul of Tarsus in the first century, you would have never thought that God would use that guy to build and further his kingdom, to build his church. You would have never thought that. He was absolutely hostile to Christianity. He was doing his dead-level best to stamp out Christianity. And yet, Saul of Tarsus became who A.W. Tozer called the world's most successful Christian. It's amazing. He personally carried the gospel to Asia Minor and Greece and to Rome. He established churches in the known world. He wrote most of the New Testament, 25%. And his writing still affects people today. It affects me. And it affects you. It changes people. So this persecutor, became a preacher of the gospel this murderer became a missionary uh, seeking to destroy God's church and so we're going to kind of see how that all comes about today uh, let's look at how Saul of Tarsus became the most dynamic leader the church has ever known. And we're going to look at his conversion experience. Now, Saul's conversion is recorded in three different places in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 22, and in Acts chapter 26. No other incident in Scripture gets that much coverage outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So first, we're going to see proud Saul, the persecutor Christians now Saul was a type a personality on steroids if you will if you were a Christian in the first century church you would have had a hard time loving Saul of Tarsus he was mean-spirited he was arrogant he was proud he was very proud of everything about himself he was proud of his heritage he came from a very wealthy family his parents were were wealthy. They were Roman citizens, and that was considered to be a status symbol in that day. They named him Saul because of his Jewishness, and they named him Paul because of of his Roman citizenship. In Philippians chapter 4, a little bit later in verse 12, Paul will say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul was proud he was smart he was educated in Acts chapter 22 and verse 1 Paul says that I am a Jew born in Tarsus now Tarsus was a very intellectual city it was right up there with Athens and Alexandria and Saul says so I am from Tarsus it's kind of like saying I am from Lexington Kentucky of all the Apostles Saul was the most intellectual. He was brilliant. He went to the school of Gamaliel. He could speak several languages fluently. He could go to Athens and debate with the intellectuals. He could go to Corinth and debate with the, with the heathens, pagans in, in, in their own language. He could get on board of a ship and talk about the weather and talk about how to navigate. He was one sharp dude. He really was he went and he was a proud man, he was proud of his intellect, refusing any new truth, and he was proud of his religion, yeah, Saul of Tarsus was very religious, and don't get that confused with being a Christian. he was very religious. he writes about himself in Philippians chapter three verses four through six. He said, if anyone else thinks he has reasons. To put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Keep that, kind of pick up his tone. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. And I love this last line. As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I think he had a pretty good view of himself didn't he he was proud of his religion and he was proud of his morality and he was smug and he was self-righteous and he thought that he was god's gift to the synagogue he was a prideful man he was extremely ambitious in acts chapter 7 we read about the first martyr when stephen was stoned and it says in that story that they laid their, clo- their coats at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. And so Saul witnessed Stephen as he lifted his eyes toward heaven and he said in Acts 7, verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. Look at this prayer. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. He died. And I believe that Saul never forgot how Stephen died. He violently persecuted Christians. The Bible says that he was breathing out murderous threats. In Acts chapter 22 verse four, Saul said, or Paul said, "I persecuted the followers of the way. That's the church. I persecuted followers of the way to their death." And so he was a murderer before he was a Christian. In Acts chapter 26, verse 11, he said, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. Saul of Tarsus tortured Christian people, and he was a proud man. He was proud about it, proud of what he achieved. He was proud of where he was in life. So he was proud Saul, the persecutor of Christians. And I want you to know that in the Bible, there are seven things mentioned that God hates. And the first one in in Proverbs chapter 6 is haughty eyes. God hates pride. He hates haughty eyes. And I don't know about you, but I can struggle with that at times. I think our country and our world struggles with being haughty. You know, we're proud of the way we look, we're proud of our dignity, we're proud of our status, and we struggle with this whole thing, but the Bible says that pride comes before the fall, and it is just so true. God does not want his people to be prideful people. He wants us to have a submissive, humble, teachable spirit so that he can do things through us in this world. And maybe you're one of those people who struggles with pride. I've had uh, interactions with lots of different people over the years, and, and I've seen people just refuse to be, to be baptized even just because they're too prideful. They don't want to humble themselves and get all wet. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12 says this, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So I hope you get the picture here. Saul of Tarsus was a very, very proud man. And so he's on the road to Damascus, and he is humbled before God. A.W. Tozer, about this passage, says this, It is doubtful that God uses anybody greatly until he hurts him deeply. And boy, I think there's some truth to that. God had to break Saul's pride so we're going to pick up his story in Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1 through 4. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anybody there that belonged to the way, and remember now, the way, that's, that's Christians, that's the church. Saul was on his way to Damascus if he found anybody part of the way whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to jerusalem as he neared damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him this was jesus appearing in all of his glory and saul fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him now just pause there for a minute he's knocked to the ground god was buckling his pride and i don't know about you but that's the way it is with me sometimes we don't look up until we are knocked down until we get knocked down and so saul is on the ground now proud persecutor saul and he hears this voice thundering saul saul why are you persecuting me and it was an audible voice Later paul would write that the men around me heard the voice but they could not distinguish the words and so i hope you're following along suddenly proud saul the persecutor has become this humble submissive teachable spirit and he says in verse 5 who are you lord sir who are you your honor it's amazing to me how quickly a person can be humbled and so here you have Saul of Tarsus groveling on the ground who are you sir he asked by the way that's the way it's gonna be at the second coming the Bible says that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow every tongue confess Jesus Christ as Lord the most arrogant millionaire the most arrogant actor everyone Everybody will fall to their knees and confess Christ as Lord. And in verse five, the voice responded, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. How humbling that had to be. You know, now we see this humble Paul, and we begin to see this life change, this transition from Paul, uh, Saul the persecutor to Paul to humble Paul the messenger of God's grace and Saul of Tarsus had to admit that he was dead wrong you ever had to admit you're wrong he had to admit you know he had violently opposed Christ he adamantly said there's no way that Jesus lives this voice is just or this this church is just a a farce Christianity is not real and then he hears jesus say i am jesus who you are persecuting it is hard to admit when you're wrong have you ever had to say to your husband or to your wife you know i was wrong it's tough pride does that guys pride is what keeps us from stopping and asking someone for directions when we're lost you know we have to go up to a total stranger and say to this stranger, you know more about this than I do. Can you help me get to my destination? It's hard to admit that you're wrong. Daniel Boone was once asked if he'd ever been lost. He said, no, I've never been lost, but he did admit that he was a mite confused for three or four days one time. Pride keeps us from saying, I'm lost. Pride keeps the teenager from saying, I was wrong. Pride keeps the husband from saying, I love you. Pride keeps the wife from saying, I'm sorry. Pride is a terrible, terrible thing. And it's hard to admit when you're wrong. Think about Saul, the most outspoken opponent of Jesus. And here he has to admit to the whole world, for all eternity, I was wrong about Jesus. But God wasn't finished yet. In verse 6, the Lord said to Saul, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, the Lord always speaks through a human agent. You know, we, we pray, Lord, I pray for this person that they might be saved, but you and I need to re- remember that God uses us. Somebody has to speak to that person. And that's what's going to happen in here. So when Saul open his eyes, he couldn't see. He was blind. A physical handicap will humble you in, in a very, very quick way. And Saul of Tarsus was helpless. In verse 8, it says, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. Are you following this? This proud, arrogant man who persecuted Christians had to be led by others and he's fumbling around not being able to see and in verse 9 it says for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything Saul of Tarsus was crushed his pride was buckled God has a way of doing that he has a way of crushing our pride he has a way of breaking down our defenses I remember reading that the the Titanic, when it was constructed, was it boasted that this ship is not even able to be sank by God. God cannot sink this ship. Of course, you know the story in 1915 on its maiden voyage, it hit an iceberg, 300 foot gash, 1,500 people went to their death, and the last song they heard was the orchestra playing, Nearer My God to Thee. God has a way of breaking our pride. Individually and corporately as a nation, as a world, uh, just about the time we think we have it all together and our health changes or our finances hit a wall or a loved one passes away or the world is inflicted with this COVID-19 that has just affected everybody. And it's reminded us all of just how fleeting and fragile life can be and we're on our knees the bible says take heed when you think you stand lest you fall and so christians we shouldn't need that kind of catastrophe to make us humble we have god and if, as we mature in the faith in our christian life we are to have more and more a submissive teachable humble spirit If you cannot be taught about God, then you have a problem with pride. And so we need to have that humble, teachable spirit before the Lord so that He doesn't have to wrench us to our knees. But if He has to, He will. He will. In this experience, Saul became a new man. Are you following the story? This aggressive persecutor, murderer, enemy of Jesus is literally blinded by God's grace and God transforms him into this humble teachable loving apostle of grace I would have never in that day put the, the name Saul of Tarsus and grace in the same sentence but boy we can now and so here is the thing when you and I are blinded By God's grace, it changes us. It transforms you. It transforms me. We have no choice. That's what grace does. When we truly experience God's grace, we become humble, sold-out messengers of God's grace. Remember the song? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, a wretch like you, we were once lost but now we're found we were once blind but now we see as the story progresses in Acts chapter 9 God appears to a Christian man by the name of Ananias this is the only time we read about this guy and I'm not going to read the text to you here I'm just going to kind of give you the the TAV version that's the Tony Amerine version of this conversation between Ananias and God. God said, "Ananias and Ananias said, "Yes, Lord. I want you to go. Yes, Lord. I want you to go to Straight Street. I'll find it, Lord. There's a man there named Judas. I want you to find him. Lord, I got this. I will find him. And I want you to find a man there who's praying." Ananias said, "I'll find him. His name is Saul of Tarsus." Ananias was speechless. He's like, wait a minute, God. You know, I know you've got a lot of people that you're watching over. I know your plate is full. Yeah, I know you get busy, but you don't know this guy, Saul, I don't think. I mean, he's the enemy. He is against us. He's on the other team. You do not want me to go to him. Remember, this is Tony's translation. And then, but the Lord said to Ananias, you go, you go. And Ananias went. Always found it interesting. Why did God need Ananias? I think the same reason He needs anybody to accomplish His word. He uses you and I. He loves to spread grace through people. That's why He used Ananias. Why did God use Moses? Moses couldn't speak. Why did God use David? He was an immoral failure. Why did God use Rahab? She was a prostitute. Or Mary, this peasant, poor peasant. Or John the Baptist, who really needed to probably take a bath. How does God use these people? Why did He use Peter, who was a coward? We can go on and on and on. I can say, why does He use Tony from Kentucky? Hmm? And so, why did He need Ananias? Why does He need the church? It's an extension of His grace. It's an extension of God's grace. He doesn't just reluctantly dole out His grace. He lavishes His grace on everybody. He saves us, and then He says, slap on a jersey and get in the game. Now you're playing for my team. That's what He does. It's interesting in this story, the Lord told Ananias that Saul was going to be his ambassador to the Gentiles. Now, I would have thought because of Saul's extreme jewish background he would be the ambassador to the jews but god's ways are not our ways he said no i want him to speak and, and win the gentiles and i want you to notice specifically verse 16 god said to ananias i will show him how much he must accomplish in my name no 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 i will show him how much he must suffer for my name you see we tend to measure success in terms of accomplishments and statistics but god's in god's economy he measures we measure success by scars and sacrifice that's success so ananias goes and he finds this poor humbled man acts chapter 9 begin with verse 17 then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 22, verse 15 and 16, you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for get up be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name and so we see that baptism was the point when Saul said yes to God and his sins were washed away he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus he surrendered to Jesus and he obeyed Jesus and that brings me back to the question that I ask at the top of my time with you today who is your impossible Who is it in your life that you say that person will never ever change will never ever accept jesus christ as his lord and savior and do you have the same mindset that maybe ananias had you know you know why in the world god would you want this guy the saul of tarsus so i want to challenge you maybe you and i need to do an inventory an honest inventory of our own relationships, the people who are in our lives, inner circles of influence, and look at our own attitudes toward them. And, you know, maybe we have somebody or some people that we have put into that impossible category. That person that you would look at and say, I don't think God could ever ever reach you. And you've written them off as unreachable. Who... Have you told God no? You need to get somebody else to go after that person. I don't think they can change. I think that the takeaway in Acts chapter 9 is that there are no impossible candidates for Jesus and His grace. Well, God is, that's what God is asking all of us. That's what he wants the church to be. It's what he wants his followers to be. A few willing people that would take his love and take his grace and his compassion to everybody. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And I personally believe that if grace can't reach everybody, grace can't reach anybody. And I think we need to embrace that. So in your life, who would you consider impossible? I think that if you're growing spiritually, if I'm growing spiritually, you know, those that you see who are who you're unwilling to go go to, that's as spiritual as you're getting. It, it just stops right there. Your spiritual maturity is measured by who you are unwilling to to reach out to in love so that's the takeaway today I know some of you might be saying well you know I'm that unreachable person you know that's that's a good point maybe so far you have been the one that said I'm I'm never gonna make a decision for Jesus I'm never gonna make a a change in my life I'm never gonna surrender to him I can't change I got I'm too set in my my own ways Well, maybe you need to remember that Jesus' grace is for everybody. And I just want to invite you to keep coming back. Keep checking out Jesus. Keep learning about Him. And you will learn a lot about love and grace and peace and hope. God sent His Son that we may have life and that means all of us. You and me and anybody else that we think about in our lives and I just want you to to get that Saul of Tarsus was blindsided by God's amazing grace and God gave him a new personality he gave him a new ambition and Saul of Tarsus who I would have never thought would change became humble Paul messenger of God's grace God's amazing grace transformed him God's amazing grace transform me. And God's amazing grace can transform you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for the example of Saul of Tarsus. Proud Saul, the persecutor of Christians who became, after he met Jesus, humble Paul, messenger of God's grace. May his story be our story. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.